Hello, hockey fans, and welcome to the podcast. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast, and like most of you listening, we're real excited at the prospect of Las Vegas possibly getting an NHL team here. That's why we decided to start the show, to follow the team, and talk about all things Vegas hockey. My co-host is going to be the Buffalo Kid, Tom Cudahy. He's going to be joining us in a little bit when we interview our guest, a very special guest for our first show. Um, we're really looking forward to it. Now, uh, in the last couple of weeks since we just started this out, we've met a whole bunch of cool people here in town that are really fanatics about hockey. Uh, we've had some amazing response, people that want to just help, emailing, uh, hitting us up on Twitter, at Vegas Hockey Pod, uh, wanting to help out any way they can. We just want to say thanks to all those people that reached out to us. We appreciate it more than you guys know, and uh, we look forward to meeting more hockey fans here in Las Vegas as we get closer to opening night. So as Mr. Foley continues to go through the process and bring us an NHL team here in Las Vegas, we're going to keep everybody up to date on the developments and and everything that's going on around that. Uh, But for now, we're going to have our first guest here on the podcast. This guy has 35 years experience either coaching or playing pro hockey seven years of that coming in Las Vegas and he's also a guy with a ton of life experience that we're going to find out when we talk about the book he just had released. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Clint Malarchuk. Clint, welcome to the show. Hey, it's my pleasure to uh, talk a little hockey with the Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh, Big time. There. Yeah. Love it. First, if it's all right with you, you did just put out, I believe it's your first book, Matter of Inches, How I Survived in the Crease and Beyond with Dan yeah. Robson. Uh, that's your first book, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. First, uh, it, was a, it was a big project, so I don't know how I would hear even uh, think about doing more than one like that. that. That took a lot of time. Man, you could have split that into three things, and it would have been captivating at every level, man. While we were trying to set this up. I got I picked up a copy of it, and one of the main themes in the book, to me anyway, is how you're able to get through everything that you described going through. Even as far back as childhood, you recognized that you had the OCD and the anxiety symptoms, and you really were able to uh, to hide them and mask them and not let the people around you really know what you were going through. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you know, first of all, writing the book was just uh, painful for me um, because Dan Robson, who was a co-author there, he, he did a great job of getting me to go in depth on, on things that I went through and really think about things like my childhood and you know, I talk about certain things, and it's, well, what were you thinking at that time, or what were you feeling at that time? So it really had me uh, go deeper and really expose myself in a lot of different ways and a lot of emotion uh, to to write the book. You know, I had to relive a lot of those incidences, so it was a it was a daunting task and not easy. Uh, people ask me if it's therapeutic to write the book, and no, I'd done tons of therapy before that. It was actually almost kind of productive in some ways. Uh, I had to get my balance again after it was done, and uh, uh, it was quite the endeavor. But, uh, you know, to go into those childhood experiences and masking and hiding, not just at childhood, but throughout my uh, career, uh, you know, the, the mental illness is perceived as a weakness. Uh, now I know it's a sickness and not a weakness, uh, but you know, going through that that stigma of, of being a weakness uh, for a goaltender, you want to be the mentally strong one. You're perceived as a rock, and uh, so the last thing you want anybody to think is that you're you're weak, especially mentally, because because of the pressure that's involved in the position, you're supposed to be the the guy that handles everything. So, uh, obviously, masking uh, all those things I was going through was difficult, but. Uh, it became 
became almost second nature because uh, that's what we do. And and right nowadays we don't have to do that. We're recognizing that it's a sickness and and not a weakness, and there's help. I imagine there's been a lot of people like yourself who have honestly bared their soul and put out what they have gone through with their mental illnesses, and that's part of the reason the stigma or the perceived weakness regarding people dealing with mental health issues has been lessened somewhat in recent years. Yeah, somewhat, I think it is. Uh, you know, we still got a long ways to go for sure, but uh, I think the more we've talked about it and opened up uh, about it and, you know, the programs that uh, that are out there now in professional sports, even like uh, the NHL is doing, uh, you know, I know in Canada, the NHL teams, there's something called Bell Let's Talk, and it's, uh, it's about mental illness and opening up the conversation. And, and uh, you know, we've had some, some tragedies happen in the NHL too with some players, and, and uh, you know, suspected uh, suicides, and um, you know, players struggling with uh, mental illness, and now with the concussion syndrome coming out more and more in the public, uh, there's a lot of players that uh, are affected. So uh, I think that uh, the programs that we're doing are, are helping, uh, just get, getting people talking about it and realizing that you know, it really is is not it's not a weakness at all. It's it, it's a sickness. It's I don't produce enough serotonin in my brain, so uh, what's the difference than a diabetic not producing enough insulin with the pancreas? So it's as much physical as it is anything else. It's a sickness. Right. I I think the way people define injury, sickness, mental illness, especially in professional sports, has been the cause of a lot of misperceptions over the years. And the more people talk about it, the better things are getting. Right, and I think we are doing that slowly but surely. But, uh, you know, back when we get a concussion, uh, you know, you got your bell rung and that's how it was diagnosed and you go right back out there uh, not knowing that it was a, even a concussion. Even if it was a concussion, they, they are, you're a little concussed, but you'll be okay. Not knowing that uh, the whole time that, uh, you know, that it, would, it would probably develop into something worse. And, and uh, you know, like the... We're finding out now with these with these things that happen, uh, you know, th- these guys are developing mental illness or at least depression sim- symptoms because of the concussion. Right. I know I like the recent moves by the NHL to try and combat some of those long-term effects you're talking about, having the baseline test done before the season, having the players go to the quiet room for the 15 minutes if they exhibit any concussion-like symptoms, and now even the juniors are taking baseline tests before the season – Let's hope this helps stop the long-term effects you're talking about. Now I'd like to bring in my Buffalo kid over here, Tom, to kick off the hockey talk. Tom? Well said, Clint. I grew up watching you in Buffalo. Were you concerned going to Quebec with the language barrier and whatnot? Well, you know, at first I was a little bit uh, worried about it because Quebec City itself is very French. Uh, There's not a lot of bilingual uh, like it is in Montreal, let's say. And uh, but once I got there, uh, you know the people are the biggest hockey fans. I mean they're huge hockey fans, and um, you know the the way we are treated, not just by the organization but the community itself. Uh, uh, it, it, it we were taken care of well, and the fans were really receptive. They didn't care if you were English or or French. So um, it ended up being a great experience there. Yeah, I bet. We've been doing some research. It looks like. Quebec will have a new arena open before Vegas. Who do you uh, think should get a team? Vegas, Quebec, or both? Well, I, you know, I think that the NHL could expand to, to both. The problem with Quebec is, you know, it'll be in the east, and, and uh, 
at the NHL for balanced uh, conferences. They need to get teams out west, and I know Vegas is in the hunt right now. Um, not in my experience uh, with the Thunder uh, playing there and coaching there, it was just a, a, a it was a ride. I mean, it was a great ride. Uh, I think there's a good solid fan base, and you know, I'm going back to the early mid '90s then. I think it'd be even bigger now because of the the people that have moved there from Vegas from hockey markets like Minnesota and Boston areas. Um, you know, I think uh, I really think Vegas is a, is a hockey town that needs to be tapped by the NHL. Um, you know, the, the the thing in Quebec, I mean, it, it, it's a sure goal there. But again, now you got to look at the balance of the conferences and. We really need teams out uh, west. I hear Seattle, uh, you know, popping up a little bit. But um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not. I'm not going to ask uh, would Vegas work in hockey. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and my my answer is yes. Uh, you know, having been there as a player and a coach, uh, I really think it, it, it's a market to be tapped. For sure, I just remember those games. The crowd was pretty lively. You remember that fan that jumped over the glass and onto the ice? Oh yeah, that 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 uh, are you talking in Quebec there? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was uh, Rob Blake from the Wolfman. That time, it was, uh, <laughs> they, they, they're they're great fans, obviously. That you know, with hockey, it's, it's such a great uh, environment there. But uh, that being said, goes goes Vegas. I mean. Uh, when we were there, and we're talking about the IHLs, that you know, the minors, or you know, the equivalent of AAA in baseball, and I mean, our fan uh, fans were great. We had great crowds. Um, you know, it was it was a it was an experience there. And and the, the thing was, with with that market in Vegas, the people that were at the game, they wanted to be there. They weren't like free tickets to yeah. try and fill the rink or anything like that. These, these were people that were there to see hockey, and uh, you know, it, it was a it was a great experience. Yeah, Clint, this is Mark again here on the Vegas Hockey Podcast, and I'm gonna jump in here with some stats to back up just what you said. In the 93-94 season, as the inaugural season for the IHL in Las Vegas, the Thunder drew over 8,000 people per game, fourth in the league in attendance, and the community at the time only held 400,000 people. The team never drew below 7,700 fans in the first four years, and they stayed at the top half of league attendance until the last year when it was obvious everyone knew they were going to have to leave because of lease issues with the Thomas and Mack. So the viability and sustainability of an NHL franchise here shouldn't ever be questioned. We turned out for minor league hockey like that, and now with 2.2 million people in our metropolitan area, that puts us 10th in the country and the highest population base in the country without a major sports team. I remember guys going to the game back then. Uh, You guys are skating out to the ACDC's Thunderstruck. That is a fantastic environment for hockey, and if we get an NHL team here, that arena is going to rock. I would agree. I think that uh, just those numbers that you threw out, um, you know, we were a minor league team and we had great, uh, great fan base. And that fan base from 93 to 95 or whatever it was that you said that, you know, I, I, I know that with 2.2 million people there, there's a lot of people that uh, are starving for hockey. They've left their, their uh, cold climate areas and maybe retired or whatever, moved businesses to Vegas. And the one thing they do miss is their hockey. And they're, they're coming from NHL markets, a lot of them, and, and they will support a team in Vegas. Yep, no question about that. Now, I, I wanted to ask you, after the 1992-93 season with San Diego, 
You won the James Norris Memorial Trophy as the equivalent of the Vezina for the IHL. How did you get the opportunity to come play hockey in Vegas? Well, I would I would say you know you know I was basically a free agent. Um, Bob Strom and I. Bob Strom was uh, the GM in uh, in Vegas, and he uh, he was he, him and I sat down, and he really wanted a, a marquee guy from the NHL um, because we were going to be a, we were the expansion team in the eye. And uh, he was wondering if somebody like me would be interested and also be willing to uh, to help out with the marketing of the team and putting my 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 best foot forward in the community and trying to you know educate people about the funders coming into town and um, you know it's right up my alley and uh, Bob and I hit it off. Uh, we were both from the Western Hockey League originally. Him as a coach and GM and me as a player there. And uh, we had the same makeup, the same same philosophy, and you know Bob basically got me to to, to sign with them, and I was more than happy. I think we were both uh, uh, real real thrilled about the association, and and I was thrilled to be a part of a, a new market with hockey, and um, you know doing whatever I could to help the team and promote it. So Bob and I just uh, like I said hit it off and went forward with it. Clint, uh, help out! You did. Goalie, yeah. head co- head coach, assistant GM. Is that right? Assistant GM. Yeah, um, and that was part of uh, you know when I came to Vegas, I was getting you know near the end of my career, and I I you know expressed my desire to maybe get into coaching or management, and Bob uh, was more than accommodating with that too. He said that'd be great. Uh, we'll get you uh, we'll get you in as a player, and with that in mind, you know know that future could lead uh, with, with something more with the franchise. So, um, you know, it worked out for, for both me and Bob. And, and uh, yeah, I ended up getting some experience uh, as, as a coach, an assistant coach, and uh, as, as working with Bob as an assistant GM. So, for me, it was, it was a great, you know, just a great opportunity. For sure. I don't know who's more popular now with this Vegas hockey talk. Is uh, Bob Strom or yourself? I see you guys everywhere, right? Well, I would think that uh, you know, if the NHL uh, does land in Vegas, or uh, even now, just a, a proposed opportunity, um, I, I would have Bob Strom as my frontman. Um, you know, because he, he's done it. He did it at that level, which was probably harder to do in the IHL. Uh, and he did it, and he made it remarkably successful. And for me, that'd be my first guy. Uh, you know, he'd be my lead guy right now, just on on starting the, the trying to get tickets sold and hit that mark. Uh, I'm not sure what the mark is right now. I heard it was around eight thousand season tickets. Uh, um, you know, and I think they want a commitment of ten thousand. And uh, you know, Strummer would be the guy for me, anyways. And knowing that he what he's did with the minor league level, um, for me, it's just a no-brainer to have him involved with an NHL team in Vegas. No question about it. And actually, last Friday night we just passed nine thousand in season ticket reservations, and that's from a community that doesn't even have a, a team yet. Uh, I think that's pretty phenomenal. I know Winnipeg sold out like thirteen thousand seats in fourteen point eight seconds or whatever it was they did up there. The difference is they knew they were getting a team. We don't even have an arena that's being finished being built yet. Uh, 
it is being built and with private funds i might add there's no public bonds or tax increases to pay for that it's all coming privately funded uh we don't have the commitment from the nhl team and people are still putting up their money for this so hopefully i mean i i, I know we're going to get to ten thousand uh and I, I think at that point the NHL is going to have to give us that commitment. Hopefully it's coming really soon. Uh, going back a little bit, now you, you might have been a little too humble about how you guys put that team together. Uh, you brought in Butch Goring, former player with the LA Kings. He's the head coach. You had two of your former teammates in Quebec from way back in King Quinney and Mark Vermette. Radic Bonk was there. He was at the time a 17-year-old phenom out of Czechoslovakia. Patrice Lefebvre. Rod Buskis, who played 10, 11 years with Pittsburgh, L.A., and the Blackhawks. I mean, you guys had a lot of talent. You, know, you went 52, 18, 11, 118 points. Pretty much cleaned up the league with that. Uh, I think Strum did a phenomenal job putting that team together. Well, if you go even further down the, you know, as, as the years went on, he brought in some other big names. Uh, you know, there was uh, Yashin, uh, Soleil. Um, you know, there, there's just uh, so many that he was constantly. It wasn't just a one-year deal bringing in some some high-profile names. He did it every single season. Uh, Curtis Joseph, uh, Pokey Redick. I mean, you got a, We are a ton of NHL guys come through there. Would it be safe to say that they all shared like your perceptions of how the community got behind the team and the, the support of the fan base is pretty consistent throughout their time there? Is that is that a safe thing to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Right on. Well, again, this is Mark and Tom on the Vegas Hockey Podcast talking with Clint Malarchuk about his time here in Las Vegas with the IHL's Las Vegas Thunder. Um, you know, I think they need to get in touch with you and Bob, actually, uh, help grow this thing. You know, your jersey is retired at the Thomas Mack from your days here, obviously. Player, coach, front office assistant, GM. Um, also, your commitment to the community here. Uh, I understand also that you got yourself a ranch here and stay in Nevada at least part of the year. Is that right? Yeah, I'm still in Nevada. Um, I'm up north by the uh, Reno Tahoe area. But, uh, yeah, definitely uh, definitely in Nevada and keeping my eye on what's going on in Vegas hockey-wise. Yeah, good good hunting up there. Good fishing up there too, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go far. No, love it up there for sure. Um, let, let me... I wanted to get back to the book for just a minute here. Uh, you know, what What I mentioned before, what touched me the most about the book was the fact that uh, you were able to go through everything you talked about without getting, uh, without letting anybody around you really know what you were dealing with. Um, I was reading it, and I kept flashing back to a time in the early 90s when a friend's older brother seemed like maybe he was going through some of the same things as you. But, uh, you know, outwardly, we never knew. You know, he would he'd come hang out with us at band practice, have a few beers, joke around. Uh, he had a six-week-old daughter, good job at one of the casinos here. Um, it just seemed like he had everything going on for him, and unfortunately, uh, he ended up taking his own life. Um, I imagine if someone reading your book could see that they aren't alone in what they're feeling and uh, reach out to anyone for help, you'd view that as a huge success, right? Well, for me, uh, you know, as painful as the book was to write, the feedback since it's been out has been off the charts for me as far as uh, people contacting me, uh, expressing how it helped them, thanking me. Uh, I'm speaking a lot. I just did a, uh, a military boot camp, uh, eight days with, uh, 
disabled vets with uh, PTSD and other disabilities. And, you know, for me, uh, now that the book is done and the pain is over, uh, the gratification that I'm getting now for me is just an off the charts with uh, helping people. I didn't know it would have that kind of impact, but, uh, you know, from the feedback I'm getting and, and everything, it's been, it's just like I said, I'm so great. I feel so grateful that I finished it and that I was able to reach people and help them. Yeah, definitely. Um, let me throw out right now, if any of our listeners feel like they might be going through anything like this, they can call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-TALK. Um, just know that you're not alone in what you're going through. There's hundreds of thousands of people out there who are going through mental illness. They're fighting depression, anxiety, ODC, OCD symptoms, or any of the other mental illnesses that they are. Uh, help is available, but you have to reach out for it. Um, it's like Quinn said earlier, it isn't a weakness, it's a sickness. And there is help available. So with that, let me thank you for taking so much time to talk with us. Uh, it's been our pleasure to look back at those great Thunder teams we had here in the 90s and maybe dispel some of the myths about uh, hockey in the desert and will it work here and all that. And uh, I believe we'll be getting that commitment from the league uh, maybe in June at the Board of Governors meetings that are being held here, uh, if not before. Uh, when we do get that team, we have to have you back on the show, uh, if that's all right with you. That'd be awesome. I'd love to to do it. Maybe we can do it live. I'll come down there for, for a game. Man, that'll be fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, Tom, you got anything else? I, w- I was wondering if they come down here. Did you know Porky Palmer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I ran into Porky Palmer the other day, and uh, he said uh, he should be credited with at least 22 assists because he would kick the boards at the yard and uh, bump them out to the forwards, right? Oh, yeah. There's an old trick. Been out for years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you do, yeah, we'll uh, we'll all hook up. Yeah. Clint, there was, uh, there was one other thing that Tom and I were talking about before the show I wanted to ask you about. There was a uh, game back in Quebec. Uh, you, you found yourself over the boards. You were doing backup goalie duty, and you found yourself over the boards throwing blows with the other team uh, that, while the starting goalie was leaning against the boards watching. Do you remember that game? Oh, yeah. I've been in a few of those. But the crazy thing it. was this. The third period, you come out and do it again, right? Yeah, we, we loved it. I mean, that was part of hockey back then. It sold tickets, too. <laughs> it, I'd say it's a little bit different game nowadays. And any, anybody who doesn't think that maybe goalies are, have that true hockey grit, there's, uh, there's backup goalies jumping the boards back in the day, throwing blows while the starter's looking on. Uh, one other thing I was just reading, I didn't really want to want to touch on this too much. But uh, apparently you, you you were on your way to the hospital from your accident in Buffalo, and uh, you wanted to know if they could stitch it together and get you back out for the third period, right? Is that a true is that a true story? Did you ask the ambulance driver that? It, it's it's true that I said that, but uh, knowing my uh, my life was uh, hanging in their hands, I was more joking. I knew there was no chance of it. <laughs> Right now, I know a lot of people remember that. A lot of casual sports fans, casual hockey fans remember that. But what they may not remember is that you started again 15 days later after that, right? It was 15 games, is that correct? Yeah, it was 10. 10. Come on. Man. <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a different game today. Let me, let me tell you what's up. 
Our very first guest on the podcast, Clem Alarchuk, ladies and gentlemen. It's a fantastic conversation. Uh, we had a great time talking with you today, Clint. Tell them where they can pick your book up. Well, uh, best way probably is Amazon.com, and uh, it's on there. It's, I know in Canada it's a different title. In Canada it's called The Crazy Game. In the States it's the uh, A Matter of Inches, and I'm the author. And, uh, yeah, I've been real pleased with, uh, with the sales of the book, but more importantly how it's helped people. Absolutely, and it's published through Triumph Books, correct? Right, yeah. And there is a link. If you guys go to millarchuk.com, he has a link on his page. That'll you know, Just click on that. That'll take you over to triumphbooks.com. And I think you can just click on through and buy the book through there. So, uh, well, you know more about it than I do, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I just, I just got to say again, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's great to talk to you. Great conversation. It's always good talking hockey, though. Uh, got to love it. Yes, gotta it love is. It. Uh, and, yeah, when we do anytime. get a game, open invitation, anytime you want to come down and talk with us, uh, stakes will be on us. You come on down. We'll handle everything. Else. All right, guys. Thank you. Okay. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Malarchuk joins the show on the first episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. How about that? Uh, thanks again, Clint, for uh, taking so much time to talk with us today about your time here in Las Vegas playing hockey for the Las Vegas Thunder and also about the book you just had released uh, late last year, A Matter of Inches, How I Survived in the Crease and Beyond. Go ahead and get yourself a copy of it. I'm almost done reading the thing. Um, you guys need to get a copy of that if you're a hockey fan. Uh, there's there's some really cool uh, inside stuff, uh, locker room kind of talk, stuff like that. But it's also about a whole lot more than that. And uh, we thank Clint Malarchuk for coming on the show and sharing all that with us. Not a lot of guys could go through what he did and then go ahead and bear his soul and talk about it so openly. So thanks again for that, Clint. Uh, and we look forward to talking with you again. All right, well, let me apologize for the way some of that audio came out there at the end. Uh, we had some technical difficulties on our side during the call, and it was we had to go back and cut and paste and redo a lot of stuff. But... Uh, we definitely didn't want to take anything out there that was too organic and, and too real, so some of it got a little echoey and a little bad, but uh, we hope you think our decision to leave that stuff in was, was right, and we'll do better in the future. Tom, what'd you think of that? Oh, yeah, that was uh, unbelievable. There were so many things to uh, ask him. I, I wanted to ask him about going into the, playing the puck in the corner, you know, dumping it in. It's a routine play nowadays, but uh, back Which then... Which I the, hate, by the way. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I hate the freaking dumping. Yeah, the, the, uh, that was the play. <laughs> that was the play, though, dumping it, it in. And it was, a, it it was, was always a venture for all goalies involved in the different buildings and ranks that was never uh, clean and sanitized like it is nowadays. Well, yeah, they didn't even have standard dimensions, really, until... I mean, the garden... The garden was 15 feet short until they closed the building. Yeah, I think they're, they're all different. Yeah. The, the, the Buffalo Yard, uh, Boston Gardens was longer, wider, shorter than the, the Chicago Stadium. Garden. Yeah, and Chicago. The form. Yeah, going up the stairs. You remember the, going up the stairs in Chicago? Yeah. <laughs> now, that, that dude, I got to say, that was a great environment for hockey, man, when uh, they play the old Chicago Stadium fantastic yeah yeah for sure yeah you'd see the 
the cameras rocking, of course, standard definition back then. But yeah, the cameras, <laughs> the cameras are rocking, and you know, they couldn't even steady the things. But yeah, now I mean, hopefully our our arena here has some some kind of character to it. I mean, yeah, I, it's it's it, I mean, it's not going to be Staples Center, but. I, I don't think there's any character in any of these rinks anymore. As much as, you know, I know everyone's a fan of some of their team and their, their building is the best. I get it. Yeah. But there is, they're, they're, they're all the same, man. They're all the same pretty much. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, one thing, and I almost hate to say it, but I will. The, the, all, the, the wave of new baseball stadiums that came like you know, in the 90s and through the 2000s each each stadium had its own little deal that separated it starting and you got to give Camden Yards their props yeah. in Baltimore using the warehouse as the backdrop in right field Sweet. Uh, and even up into San Diego Padres new stadium where they had the office buildings there in left field and that's actually in play yeah uh, it hangs out over the field and if it hits it uh, sorry that, that's in play at least they kept some of the old feeling and the old flavor of the Evans Fields and whatever uh, Forbes Field back in the day, where where each they didn't need cookie cutter. Then and and I'm glad they replaced all the the Riverfront in Cincinnati and the Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh. All because, the all the donut, uh, yeah, the yeah, donut yeah, yeah. holes. The Shea yeah. Stadium in New York. That, that that was horrible that they did that. I mean, uh, and St. It, Louis had the donut hole, yeah, right? They, they're all they're like all the same, right? Yeah. That and I'm glad that they've and St. Louis still plays at Bush Stadium, but it's but, what, it's, but it's totally different. They yeah, spent hundreds yeah. of million dollars undoing that. Yeah, it looks trick. Yeah, uh, but go to Pittsburgh and sit there and look out at the river with the bridge out in the background, or go to San Francisco, uh, and ob water, obviously, yeah. obviously, you can't do too much of that with a hockey rink. I mean, a hockey rink has to be 200 feet, whatever. But yeah. with with the the way the the Maybe crowd, the way the, the balcony could could sit. I mean, that, overhang. Yeah, that's what I liked about old Chicago. Is it was straight up. the The balcony was even with the boards, was, just about, and it was so steep you almost needed a ladder to get up to your seats. It was, it but was, once you were there, dude, it was so magnified. Uh, the sound, the 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 atmosphere was just like directed, like a direct energy weapon straight at the ice. Uh, and I mean, I've been to Staples Center a bunch of times to see hockey and. The upper bowl, dude, is is like a mile away. At from, least it's ridiculous. Because the cause, angle, you don't want to have people in Hollywood have to strain to go up the stairs to get their seats. And I'm a, hey, I'm a Kings fan. I'm not, I'm not disrespecting Hollywood or anything like that. But four, it, four it, levels <laughs> of uh, suites is a little over the top. It, what do you it, think? It's a little extra. No, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hate on my Staples Center because my boys got two. Stanley Cup banners hanging from the rafters right now, but uh, the, the hopefully, one... hopefully our stadium. And from the looks of things, if you go on our Twitter page at Vegas Hockey Pod, you'll see some construction pictures of our stadium going up. And it's it's a smaller arena than what you might think four hundred million dollars could buy nowadays. Um, it looks like maybe maybe the upper balcony and the upper bowl, if you will, is. Going to be Tighter. a closer, closer to the action, baby. So hopefully that character does come out in our in our stadium. Yeah, you hope. Uh, again, I, I've been to LA and I'm fortunate enough to sit in a lower bowl. But boy, that's the haves and haves not. 
the lower bowl, and then what is, what is it, Mark? Is, is it three levels or four levels of sweets? It's a huge. It's ridiculous. It's a, eats up a huge chunk, and it's then you got and then you got the upper bowl, which you're like Mark said a mile away. Hopefully they can compact that down. It'll definitely a little tighter. Maybe they should let us get in there with the prince right now. I know, I know, uh, some of our uh, IBW brothers are out there right now, and some of our steelwork and union friends are. Uh, Maybe we could just get in there and rework that. Yeah, we have to, you know, get the yeah, get jackhammer uh, a couple sweets out of there. Yeah, get Mister Foley on the phone. Get everything and tight. We, we need to, we need to fix it. Not and don't get me wrong. I don't want the seats tight. I don't want to be rubbing legs with no. uh, two other people. We don't need any of that. But I'm just if saying, if Kevin Smith's get, sitting next to me, I need some room. He's up in the rafters. You know? I know. He's three hundreds. He's three hundreds. No, he's literally in the iron in the rafters. Like oh. Batman, remember? Oh, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, we're going to think on top. Yeah, on top of the ice. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would be nice. Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to speculate on, and as we go forward with the podcast, we'll be uh, just throwing out random crap like what our arena is going to look like uh, and what we kind of hope for to happen with our franchise. But I think, that, I think we're going to get this off. Uh, into post-production so we can get this episode up. Uh, there's some gold there from Clint Malarchuk. I'd like you guys all to hear as soon as possible uh, talking about the market here in Vegas and maybe some of the naysayers from uh, maybe some more traditional hockey markets if you uh, will can listen to what someone who actually played in Quebec and played in Las Vegas has to say about the two environments and uh Maybe learn a little bit before any of the negative stuff comes out of their mouths again. Because <laughs> yeah. just, just, just hearing and seeing all of the, that's a stupid idea to put a team in Vegas. Yeah. It's really not that much thought or uh, research behind to back those it things. up. Yeah, this, it, 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 I mean, I got to say, it's a completely privately funded stadium. If you can find me another city that... Uh, lost their team and there was two companies in town that were willing to spend all all the money to privately fund the stadium without trying to get public funding and city bond issues or raise the tax rates to the people in the community uh i got a feeling you probably would have kept your team if you had an owner like mr foley seems like he's gonna be for sure i mean they just uh hate to go to soccer here but the, yeah the vegas arena uh, the vegas stadium for soccer got nixed because of all what you just said Absolutely. bonding yeah political I, what what have you i don't uh, want to get any of that but yeah the team absolutely. got awarded to minnesota yeah uh, the the thing with that is not only did uh, they want to put most of it in in on the public's back but then the, there's like a hundred, hundred and ten million dollar franchise fee that had to get paid to the MLS in order to get an expansion team, and they wanted to put that into the funding in, too. Into the, yeah, the stadium itself. I, I mean, I, 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 I'd have to look my numbers up. We're just, we're just shooting the bull here. But the, the stadium itself was like two hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah, and the full funding package was over four hundred million dollars. Yeah. And they, because they wanted us to pay for it, it was like I'll own the team if everybody else pays for it. The soccer balls, the jerseys, <laughs> the hats, the Gatorade bottles, yeah. everything. Let's just put it all on the city's back. Well, Mr. Foley came in here, dude, and he, you know, he put it up. He put his money where his mouth is, and I and I don't know this for sure. I'd have to look it up again, but uh, I'm sure the NHL is going to want five hundred to seven hundred million dollar franchise fee in order for this thing to get awarded. And 
I, I, I'm going to say right now, I don't think there's been one word about any of that coming out of the public pocket that I've seen. No, not at all. I mean, Bill Daly's been here. He took the tour of the arena. Uh, Commissioner Batman's already been here. Luke Robitaille himself no. was at the groundbreaking. Ooh. Lucky, oh, yeah. lucky Luke, the he, highest scoring left wing in NHL history. He was digging the shovel next he, to Mayweather, right? Yeah, yes, he, he was. Both have the Absolutely, Man. digging, digging dirt, baby, digging dirt. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, put it this way: if people say, "Oh, it's a stupid idea," give me somebody else willing to invest a billion dollars in your community, build you a stadium out of their own pockets, and then we can have a conversation about what a dumb idea it is to do. I'm sure somebody who's going to put a billion dollars of his own money out to finance a team has a gaggle of lawyers, a freaking pod full of PR and market research analysts, experts that you could probably line from here to uh, the Canadian border hmm. uh, that are telling him that it's financially a good idea and that the market can support a hockey team. Because somebody of that kind of money does not just throw a billion dollars around hoping that somehow the team might be viable. Well said, and, well and said. That's it. And with that, I think we're going to get out of here and get this in, get this into production so we can get our, get our first episode out. Uh, thank you all for listening. I want to give a, a shout out to our, our friends here in town, Vegas Hockey Talk. It's a blog that they started up to kind of do the same thing we're doing. If you want to follow them on Twitter, they're at, at Hockey Vegas. Uh, and then they have links through to their blogs that they have already put up. Uh, pretty good content. Uh, I've talked with them a little bit. Pretty good guys. They know what they're doing over there. So after you listen to this, go on Twitter, find their link, and give them, hit them up. They're pretty good. All right. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.